0: Chapter 5, Book 5 of Amelia, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit librivox.org. Recording by Gabby Cowan. Amelia, Volume 2 by Henry Fielding, Chapter 5. Containing much heroic matter at the end of three days mrs ellison's friend had so far purchased mr booth's liberty that he could walk again abroad within the verge without any danger of having a warrant backed against him by the board before he had notice as for the ill-looked persons that had given the alarm it was now discovered that another unhappy gentleman and not booth was the object of their pursuit mr booth now being delivered from his fears went as he had formerly done to take his morning walk in the park here he met colonel Bad in company with some other officers and very civilly paid his respects to him but instead of returning the salute the colonel looked him full in the face with a very stern countenance and if he could be said to take any notice of him it was in such a manner as to inform him he would take no notice of him booth was not more hurt than surprised at this behaviour and resolved to know the reason of it he therefore watched an opportunity till the colonel was alone and then walked boldly up to him and desired to know if he had given him any offence the colonel answered hastily sir i am above being offended with you nor do i think it is consistent with my dignity to make you any answer booth replied i don't know sir that i have done anything to deserve this treatment look ye sir cries the colonel if i had not formerly had some respect for you i should not think you worth my resentment. however as you are a gentleman born and an officer and, as I have had an esteem for you, I will give you some marks of it by putting it in your power to do yourself justice. I will tell you, therefore, sir, that you have acted like a scoundrel. If we were not in the park, answered Booth warmly, I would thank you very properly for that compliment. Oh, sir, cries the colonel, we can be soon in a convenient place. Upon which Booth answered he would attend him whatever he pleased the colonel then bid him come along and strutted forward directly up constitution hill to hyde park Booth following him at first and afterwards walking before him till they came to that place which may be properly called the field of blood being that part a little to the left of the ring which heroes have chosen for the scene of their exit out of this world booth reached the ring some time before the colonel for he mended not his pace any more than a spaniard to say truth i believe it was not in his power for he had so long accustomed himself to one and the same strut that as a horse used always to trotting can scarce be forced into a gallop so could no passion force the colonel to alter his pace at length however both parties arrived at the list where the colonel very deliberately took off his wig and coat and laid them on the grass and then drawing his sword advanced to Booth, who had likewise his drawn weapon in his hand but had made no other preparation for the combat the combatants now engaged with great fury and after two or three passes booth run the colonel through the body and threw him on the ground at the same time possessing himself of the colonel's sword as soon as the colonel was become master of his speech he called out to booth in a very kind voice and said you have done my business and satisfied me that you are a man of honor and that my brother james must have been mistaken for i am convinced that no man who will draw his sword in so gallant a manner is capable of being a rascal down me give me a buzz my dear boy i ask your pardon for that infamous appellation i dishonoured your dignity with but down me if it was not purely out of love and to give you an opportunity of doing yourself justice which i own you have done like a man of honour what may be the consequence, I know not, but I hope at least I shall live to reconcile you with my brother booth showed great concern and even horror in his countenance. Why, my dear colonel said he could you force me to do this for heaven's sake, tell me what I have ever done to offend you. me cried the colonel, indeed, my dear child, you never did anything to offend me, nay i have acted the part of a friend to you in the whole affair i maintained your cause with my brother as long as decency could permit i could not flatly contradict him though indeed i scarce believe him but what could i do if i had not fought with you i must have been obliged to have fought with him however i hope what is done will be sufficient and that matters may be discommodated without you being put to the necessity of fighting any more on this occasion never regard me cried booth eagerly for heaven's sake think of your own preservation let me put you into a chair and get you a surgeon you art a noble lad cries the colonel who was now got on his legs and i am glad the business is so well over for though your sword went quite through it is slanted so that i apprehend there is a little danger of life however i think there is enough done to put an honourable end to the affair especially as you was so hasty to disarm me i bleed a little but i can walk to the house by the water and if you will send me a chair thither i shall be obliged to you as the Colonel refused any assistance, indeed, he was very able to walk without it, though with somewhat less dignity than usual, Booth set forward to Groves Norgate in order to procure the chair, and soon after returned with one to his friend, whom, having conveyed into it, he attended himself on foot into Bond Street, where then lived a very eminent surgeon. The surgeon, having proved the wound, turned towards booth. Who was apparently the guilty person and said with a smile upon my word sir you have performed the business with great dexterity sir cries the coronel to the surgeon i would not have you imagine i am afraid to die i think i know more what belongs to the dignity of a man and i believe i have shown it at the head of a line of battle do not impute my concern to that fear when i ask you whether there is or is not danger really colonel answered the surgeon who well knew the complexion of the gentleman then under his hands it would appear like presumption to say that a man who hath been just run through the body is in no manner of danger but this i think i may assure you that i yet perceive no very bad symptoms and unless something worse should appear or a fever be the consequence, I hope you may live to be again, with all your dignity, at the head of a line of battle. I am glad to hear that is your opinion, quoth the coronel, for I am not desirous of dying, though I am not afraid of it. But if anything worse than you apprehend should happen, I desire you will be a witness of my declaration that this young gentleman is entirely innocent. I force him to do what he did, my dear booth i am pleased matters are as they are you are the first man that ever gained an advantage over me but it was very lucky for you that you disarmed me and i doubt not but you have the equanimity to think so if the business therefore had ended without doing anything to the purpose it was fortune's pleasure and neither of our faults booth heartily embraced the colonel and assured him of the great satisfaction he had received from the surgeon's opinion and soon after the two combatants took their leave of each other the colonel after he was dressed went in a chair to his lodgings and booth walked on foot to his where he luckily arrived without meeting any of mr murphy's gang a danger which never once occurred to his imagination till he was out of it the affair he had been about had indeed so entirely occupied his mind that it had obliterated every other idea among the rest it caused him so absolutely to forget the time of the day that though he had exceeded the time of dining about two hours he had not the least suspicion of being at home later than usual End of chapter five recorded by gabby cowan